Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder, once again. And we are in the thick of off-season content. The draft has come and gone. Camp is still uh, roughly six or seven weeks away, I, I think, by last count. And so we're uh, we're doing the epitome of off-season content. We're talking about underrated players today from across the league at a variety of positions guys that you know maybe we didn't give a whole lot of pub to during the season but now we have time and so we want to and uh before we get into all that though first things first most important thing first ej buddy how you doing and what are you drinking today i'm good i'm excited this is a fun episode um it's cool to be able to talk about players that we know make a big difference um throughout the league and I think it fits perfectly right in between the draft and moving into the divisional offseason content series, which is a little more intensive that's coming up soon. But I am drinking. Well, I just finished drinking coffee because this is a rare midday recording session for us. <laughs> um, and then I have my uh, favorite. Uh, probably can't read that, but it says uh, let's put it in front of my face. It says transcend the bullshit class. Uh, and it is full of some. What is this? Grapefruit bubbly. New flavor for me. Well, I'm once again carrying the alcoholic load for us on this show yes. while you prepare to make your glorious comeback next month. I have Irish coffee loaded with an irresponsible amount of Bushmills. Um, I accidentally lost control of the bottle a little bit, so we'll see how this goes. Um, that might be more whiskey than coffee, but we'll see where I'm at in an hour. Might be a little bit messy, but it's okay. It's okay. We're talking about underrated players today. Um one thing I do want to get out of the way, though, is news and notes, because we did have a little bit of news to talk about. Uh, a couple kind of random contract reports to come out again in uh, late May, early June. First things first, David Njoku got a new deal. Uh, this is from Rap Sheet. He got four years, fifty, roughly $57 million in extension, $28 million guaranteed at signing, averages a little over $14 million a year. He is now a top five highest paid tight end and uh, I know that this is a deal that they've wanted to do for two years now they've been trying to get Njoku uh, locked down for a, a lengthy extension for multiple seasons um, they've always really liked him and uh, I think kind of looking at the contract that they gave Hooper that was really more of like a let's just make sure we have somebody on the roster type deal because it was structured in a way where that was basically a two-year contract Njoku was really the guy they wanted to be the long-term number one all along, and I think this contract reflects that. Um, as for how it affects the tight end market, <laughs> there's going to be some gigantic deals because there are some some tight ends that I think are due for extensions. 
within the next two years that are going to look at this deal and say, well, I'm better than Damon Njoku. So if he's getting 14.1, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at 17, 18. I, I think Kyle Pitts probably made a hell of a lot of money today looking at what his extension is probably going to be in about three years. So um, it's a good day for the tight end market as a whole, I would say. Yeah, and they needed to have some movement anyways, and we'll see how that movement continues as these deals continue to roll in. But if you look at receiving stats for the NFL for the past two or three years, in the top 10, or certainly the top 15, there are always two or three tight ends. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're talking about two or three out of the top 10 or 15, they don't get paid like that. Everybody on the wide receiver list there gets paid more than they do yeah and there will be a reckoning about this this is sort of the the baby step to get that started and some of that is from the cba as well in terms of positional value being linked to contract maximums yeah there's going to be a coming together this is the baby step start to say okay we needed a bump we needed a bit of a sort of it's not a reset it's like a mini reset we needed a step reset and this is the beginning of the step reset we will continue to see mm, some hue and cry about this. And Pitts is the one I really think that's going to carry the torch forward for tight ends to say, look, this should be more based on performance and less based on those two little letters. If I go out every year and put up 1,100, 1,200 yards receiving, you you pay me. It doesn't really matter what I'm designated as. Yeah, I mean, Dalton Schultz, he's only got one year left in Dallas. Um He's a uh, he's an unrestricted free agent after 2022, I believe. So I have to imagine that his agent's going to try to beat that deal and deservedly so at this point. So, I mean, if anything, the team that's most upset about this is Dallas is because now they're going to have to figure out how to give Dalton Schultz 15 million dollars or more, yeah. probably a and lot more. And Joker's deal's a little weird, too, because usually when you look at a contract, they they want to be paying for future performance, not necessarily rewarding past performance, but sometimes that's what they do. They reward past performance. Njoku doesn't really have either. He's got uh, pretty low stats in terms of what's gone on in Cleveland and his role there. The fact that it's been spread around between really three tight ends in Cleveland, they've had one of the deepest tight end rooms in the league. So he doesn't really have the past stats to lean on her, but he says, oh, it's about future you know, I think the answer is hope so, but that's a lot of money for hope so. So he's a he's a strange player in that, you know, it's not this, oh, he's ready for a rocket shot. He's been around, you know, two years and he's ready to go now. He's been around for longer than that and he hasn't quite gone yet. So there's a lot of people looking at this deal going, well, he hasn't done it before and we're not so sure he's going to do it in the future. Like, that's an awful lot of money for a guy like that. Well, if, if one thing Cleveland is not shy about, it's paying a lot of money and, and just seeing what happens. And praying for the best. That is kind of their uh, their mantra. Um, second little bit of news. Uh, Nick Foles signing with the Colts. Uh, reuniting with Frank Reich. Uh, Frank Reich is just slowly working his way through the 2017 Eagles QB room. And just bringing all of them into Indy slowly but surely. Uh, this one at least for sure is uh, in a backup role behind Matt Ryan. Were you surprised at all that this is where he ended up? Not even close. Like, I was hoping that Chris Ballard would be foolish enough to drop some 
late round box of cereal half eaten sandwich towards Chicago to to take the Nick Foles contract, but he was smart enough not to. There's no good reason to have done that after the the contract that Ryan Pace gave Nick Foles. Not at all surprised at the landing spot. It's the best possible one. Nick Foles' value is at a low ebb right now. There isn't anybody in the league clamoring for we need Nick Foles. Um, he's lucky to have a job. He's extremely lucky to have a job with someone that believes in him. Um, and could probably get the job done better in that spot than almost any other spot that he ended up in. So it's really good for Nick Foles. How good is it for the Colts? Eh, we'll see. But uh, not in terms of the surprise meter. It it didn't really even flicker off the peg. If there was one place he was going to go as a backup, I mean, this this was it. I don't really think that any other team in the NFL was interested at this point. Nope. It's, it, it was going to have to be down to coaching relationship, somebody who already knows the majority of the language in the offense, somebody who you know will come into a situation where situation like Foles where he knows he's not the starter. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's probably the the best situation for Foles at this point is one where he knows he's not the starter because there's no pressure on him whatsoever. Um, he's almost in that like. Is it weird to say he's in like that Ryan Fitzpatrick Gardner Minshew category where it's backup Foles is a better player than starter Foles? I always feel like that's kind of been been his uh, his deal where if you need like four to five games out of Nick Foles, like I think you can be okay. If you got to get anything more than that, yeesh, hold on for I, dear life. I think they might even if we're if we're finally slicing the onion here. I think that uh, they may even be both the guys you mentioned a, a slice above Nick Foles. I think at this point yeah, in yeah. Nick Foles' career, I think it's like two games, <laughs> game and a half. Um, really good clipboard holder. Um, hopefully a good presence in the locker room. He certainly wasn't in Chicago last year because he was unhappy, but he had all the leverage because the team had literally handed it to him. Um, they could not cut him without, uh, you know, a massive hit. And they even took a massive hit cutting him this year. And again, Ryan Poles said, that's all right. I'm going to erase all that crappy money. I'm pushing it all this year, and then we'll have a clean slate next year. So they are, they're paying a lot not to have Nick Foles on the roster, but he stomped around last year in the quarterback room in Chicago made it very clear that he wasn't happy, he wasn't going to do anything, and they couldn't do anything about it. He was like, basically, I'm going to stay here and take your money because you can't do anything about it. Now, you know, people tend to leave the situation that was Chicago with Matt Nagy and and Ryan Pace and get happier. Um, I imagine we'll see some of that from Khalil Mack. We're certainly seeing that from Allen Robinson in the Rams room already. Um, It's not surprising. People are, people are thrilled to get out of that situation. I think players in Chicago are thrilled to be out of that situation with a new general manager, a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator. Um, And they're saying lots of things that you can interpret as, uh, backhanded compliments uh, <laughs> about things will get better just because uh, we're not in the same place anymore. Yeah. So, um, you know, hopefully Nick Foles, I think he should be as happy as he can be. He's reunited with an old coach who does believe in him, uh, did make whatever kind of half-hearted pursuit, at least some pursuit. So uh, again, probably the best possible spot for him. And I think he'll line up and, and, you know, be a, be a good backup QB that, that holds a clipboard and, and hopes that, Matt Ryan stays healthy and he just gets to collect his money. Last little bit of news and notes here. Uh, I want to thank all of the patrons that joined this week, as well as all of the existing patrons. Uh, reminder, we have uh, one of our patron only live streams, you know, Q and a sessions coming up pretty soon here. I believe we're doing it in June, which actually this episode is going to be out 
I think first week of June, so later this month, technically. Uh, we're going to be doing another live stream Q&A for all of you patrons. Remember, you're still getting the uh, the 25% the off discount on bootleg merch if you're in the Ring of Honor tier and above. A Ring of Honor tier and above. Jesus, Easy Brett. for you to say. I know. Well, hey, like I said, more whiskey than coffee. We're working our way through it. That's um, all right. Loose yeah. pores have their place. Especially on a Sunday. It's a Sunday. It's a holiday weekend. Who cares? There you go. Cheers. Um, so, yeah, thank you to all the patrons that joined this week and all the ones that already existed. We would not be able to do this without you. Literally, your support is what keeps the show going. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And with that, let's get to our first underrated player. Um, we're kind of splitting this into a, a, a top 10, but it's a five on offense, five on defense. I get two offensive players. EJ gets two offensive players, and then we kind of have a joint pick. Uh, so it's going to be five offense, then five defense. We're going to do my two offensive players first. My number one is actually somebody we already mentioned in this show, and that's going to be Dalton Schultz from the Cowboys. One of the most underrated tight ends in the league, not just as a receiver, but also as a blocker. His blocking ability uh, really popped off the screen when I was kind of studying the uh, the Cowboys versus the Panthers, which I think was like week three or four last season. And... Um, the Cowboys came out in 12 personnel a lot. And this was a, a run defense at the time that was the best in the league. They were allowed like 40 yards a game. And they ran behind their tight ends all day long. They just absolutely beat the shit out of Carolina. And that was the first game that made me pay, pay attention to Dalton Schultz as a blocker. And I was like, okay, there's a little something there. Like he's not just, you know, the safety blanket on third down, which obviously he is. He gets open really well. He's got great hands you know, versatile in terms of alignment. You could put him as a big slot, you could put him outside, all that kind of stuff. But the the blocking ability against a very good defensive front made me see Dalton Schultz in a new way last season. And he just kind of kept kept that up throughout the year and was a very, very solid blocking tight end. So I think that he's not given enough credit for how well-rounded he is. And I do think that kind of tying everything together... That David Njoku deal, if Njoku's getting 14.1, considering how versatile Schultz is, I think that he deserves a lot more than that if that's what the current tight end market is. And I think that even though he's underrated now, he's not going to be paid like he's underrated in about a year for, uh, year from now, I would say, is when he's going to get paid. Well, they'll try and pay him at the underrated rate. Teams always will. Uh, you know, that's in their best interest and, you know, good on them. And in terms of the player's best interest, it's in theirs to get their bag when they get paid because they don't get to be, they don't get to have their deal refreshed every year, depending on how they did do or didn't do. Um, so they need to get as much as they can during those contract windows. And Schultz is going to have to push for that. And Nujoku's new contract is going to be leverage for that yeah. um it's the versatility i think that makes dalton schultz uh that puts him on our underrated list if you were thinking of him as a receiving tight end you might say i don't know i i think he gets credit for what he does as a receiver i would agree with you as a blocker i would agree with you brett that mm -mm, no he enough people don't say oh he's more than a get in the way guy I think back to the the classifications I used this year in the draft that I'll probably use next year in the draft because that's the kind of tight ends that are being turned out from the college game is, you know, are they a functional two-way tight end, a good blocker? Um, and Schultz is in that category. 
Or are they a getting away sort of angle blocker that can eh, hold their spot but not really move anybody ever? Or are they, you know, completely worthless as a blocker and just kind of mislabeled as a tight end? They're just a, a big slot, power slot, whatever you want to call them, wide receiver um, that really can't block. Uh, and Schultz, I think a lot of people, if you ask them, would say, oh, he's in that mid-tier, right? He's kind of an angle, get-in-the-way guy. And like you, if you sit down and watch his film, he's more than that. And that's that's the real strength. That's what you know elevates him to a slightly different level and puts him on this list because that, I'll call it half of his game, because the Cowboys do run a lot, uh, is underappreciated. Now, my second offensive player on the underrated list, this is actually one that I will pat myself on the back for because coming out when he was coming out of pit, I had him as a first round talent and I got a lot of shit for mocking him in the first round. Uh, if I recall correctly, I put him with the Patriots at like somewhere in the late twenties. Cause I was like, if you give Dante Skarniecki this kind of athlete, he's going to be amazing. Ended up going to Minnesota in the second round, still ended up being amazing anyway. And that's going to be Brian O'Neill. Uh, one of the best right tackles in the league. Like I would easily say one of the five best right tackles in the league. When you look at his production, or rather lack of production allowed, he has quietly been elite in pass protection since the moment he stepped on the field. I think he started um, started starting games like week four, week five of his rookie year, and that was four seasons ago, and he's only allowed six sacks. Orlando Brown, who <laughs> reports came out this week, said he wanted to be the highest paid tackle in the league. He allowed six sacks just last year. That's Brian O'Neill's total career sacks allowed in four seasons. He averages about 25 pressures given up a year, which is elite. You know, very rarely lets anybody get by him. And people say, oh, you can't allow pressures because all the uh, all the guards and centers are allowing pressures first. No, that's not how it works. Trust me, if it did, the Texans tackles would be allowing a lot less than they did over the years. <laughs> He's just, he is so incredibly athletic, so smooth. You know, as a run blocker, okay, fine. He's average at best. I'll give you that. But as a pass protector, considering that's the most important thing a tackle can be good at, he is not just solid. He is elite, and he's been elite since the moment he got on the field. I think uh, the fact that he got extended long-term by Minnesota for, I think it was less than $20 million, which at the time, that was post-Laramie Tunsil deal, and he was a better pass protector than Tunsil, and Tunsil was making like $3 million a year more than him. I thought that was one of the steals of the offseason last year, and then he came out and had yet another elite season. So he's he's not just one of the most underrated players. He's one of the best value contracts for what he is in the entire NFL. Uh, maybe one of the five best players in that whole Vikings roster, and that's saying a lot because they got some really, really good dudes. Yeah, O'Neal is the poster child for why NFL teams will take athletes at tackle. Him and mm -hmm. Colton Miller. Mm -hmm. are the two recently in the development cycle of tackles where teams will point to those two guys and say, give me the, just like you said, give me the potential, give me this ball clay, give me this building block, give me these tools, give me this length, give me these movement skills, and I'll, I'll, I'll put the rest together. And if I do, we get a huge value and we get a long-term starter uh, in a pass-first league. And Brian O'Neill, uh, like you said, did that did that very quickly, did faster than Colton Miller did. And again, started started starting in the middle of his rookie year and basically hasn't stopped since. Um, and easily makes the underrated list in my mind because nobody ever talks about him, right? People Never. will make people <laughs> will make noise about Orlando Brown and that Orlando Brown stuff this week was. I get it that it's saber rattling and that it's positioning for contract and. 
blah, blah, blah. The part that just went the arrow straight through my heart was somebody saying, well, and he outplayed Trent Williams this year. And I was like, whoop, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, record scratch. Hold up. What was that last part? Outplayed Trent Williams this year? Okay, whatever you just said beyond that, it's invalidated. We're stopping right there. Like, we're not having this discussion. Literally that, nobody outplayed Trent Williams. Nobody. That That's my point. And I, I saw that come out this week, and I was like, oh, 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 I'm fine with you saying he's great. I'm fine with you saying he needs a lot of money. I, I think both of those things are true. What was that you said about Trent Williams? Uh, because we Trent Williams was not on our underrated list last year. He was on our rated list last year. We went out of our way several times to talk about him specifically and say, even late in the season, I brought him up and said, hey, we, we haven't been talking about him a lot. Doesn't mean he hasn't been a freaking amazing every week. He continues to be a freaking amazing. And we just kind of got bored of saying he's blowing people off the ball yet again. Um, so... You know, O'Neal, just quiet. And that shows in the contract, right? He doesn't, I don't want to say he doesn't care about the money. I don't know the man. He's getting, I think he's in a spot where he says, I'm getting plenty of money to do my job, do it very well. I'm happy with that. I don't need to be loud about it. I don't need to hold out about it. I'm getting, you know, 20-ish million a year to play tackle in the NFL. I'm really good at it. And I'm that's gonna set me up for life. So we're we're good. So I'm just gonna keep doing this really quietly. And that sort of keeps him on the underrated list. But if you look at his film, uh he deserves to be talked about more. And by the way, that that amount of money does go pretty far in Minnesota. So you know, twenty three million in California versus nineteen in Minnesota. Eh, I'd probably rather have nineteen in Minnesota. <laughs> just have to buy a couple extra coats. That's all. Uh, who is your first offensive player? Mine is DJ Moore, the wide receiver from Carolina. And a player I liked a lot when he was coming out. Um, had him really highly ranked. And again, when you talk about top 10 wide receivers in the league, or if you want to be really fussy, top 11, um, <laughs> nobody ever says DJ Moore right? There are flashier names. There are bigger names. There are, are folks in different situations, different markets, uh, folks with more quarterback stability that get talked about a lot more than DJ Moore. But if you look at his reception ranks per year among wide receivers, in 2019, he was eighth, uh, 87 receptions, 1175 for the yards. And he was ninth in receptions overall among wide receivers. Um, uh, so these are yardage ranks. 2020, he was ninth in yardage, 66 for 11.93. That's 18.1 yards a catch, like one of the highest per average catch uh, rates in the in the league that year. And then last year, 2021, he was 10th, uh, 93 receptions, 1157 yards, and he was 11th overall in receptions among wide receivers. So if you look at 19, 20, and 21, he was eighth, ninth, and tenth. And mm. in terms of Wide receivers that get talked about, wide receivers that get pressed. DJ Moore's not one of them. Um, he did all that with an injured Cam Newton, PJ Walker, and Sam Darnold as his QBs. Enough said. Uh, it's one of the reasons. Uh, probably doesn't look a whole lot better this year in terms of quarterbacking. Uh, you know, maybe an injury happens and Matt Corrales ends and he loves DJ Moore. And, I, I think Matt Corral actually would be a great thing for DJ Moore. I, <laughs> I don't disagree, but I'm going to say that real quietly. Yeah. Never, never, uh, never banging the bang in the pot for people to get injured. Um, but in terms of Moore's ability, he is a very 
well-rounded wide receiver. Um, Steve Smith has said so. And Steve Smith doesn't like wide receivers for the most part that are one-trick ponies. And DJ Moore is not. He has speed. He has toughness. He doesn't have a ton of size, but he plays bigger than his size. Um, He can go underneath. He can move the chains. He can use footwork in routes to win outbreaking routes. Um, You need him to get deep and pull a safety? He can do it. Is he the fastest guy? No. Is he fast? He sure is. So this is a player that's versatile, has excelled despite less than enviable offenses and quarterbacking, and is consistently right near the top of the league in receptions and yards and never gets talked about that way. And what's crazy about it is, okay, wide receiver, first round wide receiver specifically, has the highest bust rate or one of the highest bust rates is that or quarterback I think no it is the highest yeah like in terms of like spending a top 32 pick on receiver you're more likely to not get what you're paying for and yet dj moore is one of the few that actually worked out and he's one of the few first round receivers that worked out in a situation that let's be honest has been a complete tire fire since mm-hmm. he got there when you look at quarterback situation, coaching situation, uh, offensive pieces around him, the offensive line has virtually never been good since he got there. And he's been productive. He's been consistent. There was like the one little stretch early on in his career where he just kept fumbling randomly and it was like infuriating. But again, there was like a six game stretch in his entire career. But other than that, other than those random fumbles, he's been one of the only first round receivers to not just meet, but exceed expectations and he gets zero press. It's it's actually kind of remarkable. And if Matt Corral works out, which on this podcast, even even me, who's kind of like a little bit, eh, I don't know about Matt Corral, I want him to succeed. If Matt Corral succeeds and, you know, he goes on and gives Carolina, you know, what their fans have been hoping for forever, which is like a true franchise quarterback, the first one they've had since, you know, Cam's prime, DJ Moore is going to absolutely explode. He's still only 25. Yeah. He's young. He's got a <laughs> lot of time left. You know, he could have seven, eight years more in his prime, and he's already been extremely productive. He could end up being the most productive receiver in Panthers history, and that's saying a lot. That's really saying a lot. Like, he's on track for that when you look at his stats. So, again, I, I agree with you. I think he needs to be talked about a lot more, uh, considering he's kind of he's been like almost like a DeAndre Hopkins type situation where it's like man he is he's been wandering through the desert for a long time just waiting for a franchise quarterback to show up and I really hope he gets one yeah that's the thing is I think most people think that Matt Rule will probably move on from the Carolina Panthers after the season unless something miraculous happens and it is very likely that they will have a high pick again next year and most people believe that they will spend that pick on one of the quarterbacks from next year's class so kind of either way if something miraculous happens this year and Corrales ends great if he doesn't they're probably picking a quarterback high next year and they'll have a new offensive system to put into play again that's just another year to kind of throw tread into the tires of DJ Moore. It's not what you want to see. You'd rather see those be highly productive years in a dialed in offense with a great quarterback, but look, not every player gets that. And Moore has, you know, exceeded his surroundings to put up some very good numbers through the early part of his career. Now, who is your number two offensive player in this top 10? Uh, We've also talked about him previously in this podcast and it's Matt Ryan. 
QB now for Indianapolis. That's a little weird to say, right? You <laughs> want to say QB Falcons. Uh, that has been his spot since he was drafted by them and arrived in the league. Um, but when you, again, start talking about, you know, top five, he's never there. And I understand that. And it's because he doesn't really have the traits to go fight with the superpowers, right? He's not somebody you're going to stand up head-to-head against Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, even Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, right? So that's you're already tickling top five right there. You're not going to put Matt Ryan up against them in a week-in, week-out basis and expect him to come out victorious. So he's just below that. But even when you go to 10 deep, which is really top third quarterbacks in the league, a lot of people don't mention Matt Ryan, which to me is really, really weird. Because um, if you look at, you know, some of the stats, and not all stats are a great determiner, but you can just watch Matt Ryan throw the football and know he's a pretty good football player. But if you're looking at stats, he's second in passing yardage leaders in the NFL for active players. Brady is the only one who's passed for more yards. And you might say, oh, that's because Ryan's played for a million years. So of course he's amassed a lot of stats. Eh, not exactly. So only behind Brady, but Brady's played eight more seasons and he's the best quarterback of all time. Uh, he's ahead of Rodgers, who has the same number of starting seasons, right? Matt Ryan mm-hmm. was in yeah, the they started. They started the same year, I believe, because Ryan was 08 and I think Rodgers started starting in 08, so they started exactly. at the same time. Yeah, So they have started at the same time, and it was Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback. And I don't disagree with you. I think Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback, but Matt Ryan has more yards than Aaron Rodgers. Um, and he has uh, more than Matt Stafford as well, although Ryan has only started one more season than Stafford. He has 10,000 more yards than Stafford. Really? Whoa. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not like a big on like a stats or determine all thing, but like that's, right. huh? Okay. So one more season, ten thousand more yards. Nobody throws for ten thousand yards in a season. <laughs> so again, he's been consistent. He is an excellent thrower of the football. He is a smart quarterback as well. We're not just talking about an athlete. He makes good decisions. He has been quite durable for the most part. He's missed very few games. Um, if you look at the last three seasons in passing yards, only two players have passed for more, and it's Brady and Mahomes. Mm. So everybody's like, oh, well, it's because he's played for him. I'm like, okay, just take a three-year sample. Most, you know, what have you done for me lately in the NFL? Last three years, who's passed for more yards than Matt Ryan? And the answer is Brady and Mahomes, and that's it. That's the list. So... He doesn't get talked about in those terms, and I'm really interested to see what happens. Now he's with the Colts. Now he's with Frank Reich. Now he's with an offense that has some diversity and has added weapons. Um, We're fans of the receivers for the Colts. Uh, They obviously have a great running back room, and you give him, I would say, as many or more tools together than he's ever had. They also have a very good offensive line. Um, they have they could use some help there, but he's got some great players in front of him on the offensive line. I'm really interested to see if Matt Ryan doesn't take a Matt Stafford-like jump when he went from Detroit to the Rams and suddenly like, oh, Matt Stafford's really good. I'm like, no, nah, Matt Stafford's the same player. He's got a better surrounding cast, and I feel a very similar thing could happen for Ryan this year in Indianapolis. Well, look at you know the one time that Matt Ryan had the perfect combination of supporting cast, coaching staff that knew what he uh-huh. was doing, 
the second year when he was in Shanahan's system, once he had the verbiage down and he had Julio, he had Devonta Freeman, he had a good offensive line, he had receivers out the wazoo. He was MVP. They went to the Super Bowl. Almost nobody beat them. And then, you know, Tom Brady happened because he's Tom Brady. But like that game wasn't Matt Ryan's fault. (laughs) That game was not Matt Ryan's fault at all. That game was, uh, you know, refusing to play anything other than cover three in the second half. And and Tom Brady shredded it. So I think if Matt Ryan had that supporting structure for a longer period in his life than literally two seasons, Mm -hmm. I think he'd be a lot more appreciated than he is. And again, we could talk about stats and total yards and stuff like that. Let's just look at what happens when he has a cast that he doesn't need to completely carry. Because I think part of the reason why he probably had to throw so much is because because he had to carry the team it's a big reason why he threw for so many yards but when he doesn't have to carry the team all that production isn't just oh we're in the fourth quarter and we're trying to come back down 20 points no now it's it's the fourth quarter we're already up by 20 but they can't stop us so we're just gonna lay on the gas you know and I think he is that kind of quarterback where he is perfectly capable of playing at an MVP level when he has the team around him now, is he as mobile with as crazy of an arm as Josh Allen, Mahomes, Rodgers, Russ, all these guys that can literally make something out of nothing? No. So he does need more of a supporting cast than those guys do. But that doesn't mean that he's not a great quarterback. It doesn't mean he's not a Hall of Famer, which, in my opinion, he is and he will be. Um, he's one of the most productive quarterbacks of his generation. He's an MVP. He's been to a Super Bowl. And I think he, in this cult structure, it's the best supporting structure he's had since 2016 in Atlanta. So he very well could make a run here. AFC's loaded, but it's possible. They've got a defense. They've got an offensive line. They've got weapons. Like, would not surprise me, as you said, if not only is it the same thing that happened with Stafford when he switched teams, but the same thing happened to Brady, too. Went to a better supporting structure that just needed a veteran quarterback. They won a Super Bowl in Tampa. L.A. did the same thing the next year. The Colts are trying to replicate that formula. I think Matt Ryan could very well do it. The odds are rough in the AFC but if there's one team in terms of like betting odds if there's one team where it's like oh that's a good value I'm gonna put 50 bucks on them it's the Colts because nobody's believing in them right now and I'm like why (laughs) they're a good team and they got they got Matt Ryan he's an MVP quarterback and he's still good that's the thing is if you look at Indianapolis's roster and like why haven't they done anything why haven't they done anything I'm like well you don't have to look a lot farther than the quarterback position for the last couple of years for the Colts to say uh, you're gonna you might get towards the end but you're not gonna go anywhere and now you replace that with Matt freaking Ryan who is not you know wheels falling off end of his career can't throw in December you know quarterback he still looks fit healthy sharp and it is yeah i'm with you throw 50 bucks at the colts if you've got it because why not this could be the year that they go for a run i wouldn't be surprised if it happens yeah i love it i love everything about their team right now i think they're very very dangerous um now our joint offensive pick this is our fifth offensive player in this top 10 countdown and this is one where we kind of had to come to an agreement we had a lot of different options and then this name came up, and we were both like, oh, yeah, Done. <laughs> that's the one. Yep. It's Austin Eckler from the Chargers. Now, if you're a fantasy football player, he's been a first-round pick for the last couple of years. Fantasy football players love Austin Eckler because he's Mr. Consistent when he's on the field. Obviously, there's been some injury issues, but when he's on the field, he's a no-brainer. But in terms of, like, 
quote unquote, real football, you know, in terms of like, who are the elite running backs that football fans talk about every day, that football media talks about every day. You don't really hear Austin Eckler's name mentioned with the same frequency that you hear Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, all those guys. And even if he might not be the same kind of, you know, closer that those guys are, when you look at his versatility as a receiver, when you look at just how fucking tough he is, his contact balance, he is just as dangerous of a football player overall as those guys. Again, different skill set, but in terms of somebody where like I'm circling their name in the game plan, and I'm saying, please God, don't let him beat us. Austin Eckler's that dude. He's one of the five or six best running backs in the league, and he does not get talked about that way, and it's baffling to me. Yeah, that's why for this particular list, when we got to his name, we were sorting through a whole bunch of names. We both went, oh, nope, we're done. Forget the rest of the names on the list. <laughs> he is that player that opposing DCs will circle and say, no, nah, I need to keep an eye on him for sure, because if we don't, he's going to hurt us. And one of my favorite things about last season was he had two primetime games mm-hmm. that were the Austin Eckler games, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, this is the Austin Eckler game. I'm like, this is Austin Eckler's game most weeks. You're just not watching. Yeah. Right? And Ask, he, it, ask any Chiefs fan what game is the Austin Eckler game, and it's every time they play the Chiefs. <laughs> right. And his ability to close out was highlighted in those games. And one of them, Lewis Riddick, was calling, and he was like, look at this guy. Mm-hmm. It's middle of the third quarter they know it's coming and he is churning he is getting the yards they need he's still dangerous on the perimeter when you when you throw the ball to him he's one of the best yard after catch pass catching running patch cat oh i'm gonna say that again (laughs) pass catching running backs wow couldn't string those three together to save my life uh super dangerous but also like you said underrated toughness because he is not the biggest guy he is not the fastest guy either he is extremely quick Uh, but overall his long speed doesn't stand up to a jonathan taylor folks like that it doesn't really have to because he will drag guys linebackers two and three yards every time people like wow he's really tough i'm like what do you mean wow if you watch him play you know how tough he is not going to shy away from contact will run between the tackles will obviously run outside the tackles receiver good blocker because of the same thing because of just flat out toughness um never gets mentioned in the top 10 i would say very rarely gets mentioned in the top 15 and that's kind of where you have to stop people and you're like "Mm, (laughs) we're 15 running backs deep and you haven't mentioned austin eckler we need to have a talk yeah he's just He's one of my favorite players in the league because he's one of those success stories that, you know, comes out of nowhere, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's a late round guy, undrafted guy, somebody who gets absolutely no pub, and then they finally get a chance on the field to prove themselves against, you know, the quote unquote big boys. And he just kicks all their asses every single week. I I love stories like that. You know, the NFL is is the great equalizer in that way. It always has been. And uh, I, I love him for it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, switching over to the defensive side now. Again, you have two defensive players. I have two different t- two defensive players. Wow, neither of us can talk today. Nope. I think I think when we do midday shows, we just can't talk. Um, and then we have a joint defensive pick. We're going to start off snake draft style with you doing defense first. Who is your first one? Mine's Kenny Clark, and this is the one name that came to the top of the list uh, when I proposed this episode. It was like, well, I know who my first defensive player is. I'm just everybody else's plan per second. Kenny Clark, defensive lineman for Green Bay just routinely annihilates opposing game plans from his defensive line spot. And I say his defensive line spot because it's not always consistent. They don't always play him Mm -hmm. in the same place. They move him around, and it doesn't matter. They know he's coming, and it doesn't matter. Uh, Nobody says his name uh, outside of whoever's playing Green Bay that week, and it doesn't matter. Uh, If you ask his peers uh, who you have to watch out for, especially his peers in division, but even – really within the conference and and the wider NFL. A lot of offensive linemen are going to name Kenny Clark in their top five as guys I don't want to play against, guys that is a very long day to play against, guys that I just don't want to get embarrassed by, right? Um, Guys that if my coach is going to give me help this week, I'll take it. Um, But if I got to stand up one-on-one against that guy, let's be honest, I'm going to lose some reps, right? I'm going to get my ass handed to me a couple of times and it could be bad because he's super skilled, total package player. If you want to talk about like a five tool player in baseball, this is a five tool football player. He's got power, hand usage, penetration, quickness, any way he can win, he does. And he wins with it every week, Um, which makes him one of the more difficult matchup assignments. If you're looking at offensive linemen, because whatever you don't have, he does. Uh, and he will put that on display and he will posterize you in front of everybody again, largely on the all 22, right? Cause on the TV, TV angle, you might not see it, but if you just focus, if you watch a green Bay, this green Bay game this season, just focus on Kenny Clark and watch how many times you would just kind of yes, no, put a check mark in the win box for, uh, you know, his assignment <laughs> on the play. And you will end up with a lot more check box than empty space. Kenny Clark is a fantastic player, has been for a long time, and it's a little confusing to me that he doesn't get named more often, but I understand from his position, interior defensive line, a lot of a lot of fans are looking for flash and, and aren't paying attention. If you appreciate trench warfare, you know, interior offensive defensive line play, everybody that does appreciates Kenny Clark a great deal. This is going to sound like a weird statement, but when the Eagles drafted Jordan Davis, they were hoping that they're getting Kenny Clark. And I don't mean that in terms of like a size, build, athleticism way. I mean in terms of a role way. Because Kenny Clark plays five, he plays four eye, he plays three, he plays two eye, he plays cock nose, he plays straight zero. He plays everything literally from five to zero. And Jordan Davis, we think, (laughs) going in the NFL, will be able to do the same thing. And that is... That is not a common skill set because each position requires a little bit of something different. You have to have quickness. You have to have power. You have to have length. You have to have all these different things to play these different positions. Some guys only have 
you know, three out of the five tools. Some guys are five-tool players, like you mentioned. We think Jordan Davis is a five-tool player. Kenny Clark is a five-tool player. He's one of the most valuable interior defensive linemen, or rather one of the most valuable defensive line, period, because he is that versatile and can kind of give you that kind of versatility in terms of the types of fronts you play, and which means if you can play all these different types of fronts, you, you can bring all these different types of blitzes, you can do all these kind of interesting line games up front, because again, they require different skill sets based on alignment. So he's rare. He's very, very rare. Uh, he doesn't have, I think, the same publicity as a pass rusher as, say, Chris Jones, obviously Aaron Donald, um, you know, some of the other interior guys, John Franklin Myers. Well, maybe John Franklin Myers is also underrated, but <laughs> at least for me, like, I don't think of Kenny Clark when I think of like interior pass rushers as often as I do the other guys. And that's on me because he is as good as all those other guys. He just plays in a different type of system that maybe doesn't, doesn't highlight it as much as maybe they should. Now your second defensive player, this one's interesting. And I want to preface this by saying he is coming off an all pro season, but he's still underrated. sounds like an oxymoron, but it's true. You're number two. A.J. Terrell, cornerback for the Falcons, is lights out. This guy is a primetime player at a primetime position, right? We talked about fans wanting flash. Outside corners as flashy as it gets. Go shut down their number one. Okay. So he says every week. Yeah, I got it. No worries. Put me out there. Don't need a lot of help. Like, yeah, no, I'm good. And he is. He's really, really, really good. Um, team wasn't great week to week so he tends to get overlooked a little bit right and this understatement is, there a little bit <laughs> yeah but this is this is the nfl in a nutshell and and has been for all of history if your team does well more players on your team are going to get more pub if your team does poorly you've got to be exceptional and then some to get any pub and loud right you gotta you gotta raise your voice a little bit terrell's not much of a talker off the field uh on the field he lets his play do the talking and he shouts. It's ridiculous. Led the the NFL in completion percentage allowed in 2021, minimum of 50 attempts, 43.9%. That is the lowest. Oof. In 200 coverage snaps last year, they targeted him 14 times. That's it. We could stop right there. 200 coverage snaps, they threw at him 14 times. God. That damn. means. A lot of times the quarterback looked and went, okay, moving on. <laughs> right? Or they didn't Gotta even get... look because they just saw him yep. impressed. They're like, I'm not even going to waste my time. That's right. I'm going <laughs> to give him the old, I looked. You know, on to two, on to three, try not to get killed because there's nothing going on over there that's good for me. Uh, three receptions allowed, 43 total yards allowed, and zero TDs. God. An absolute lockdown at the corner position. Um Ranked seventh in forced incompletions, uh, tied with J.C. Jackson. My favorite thing about Terrell is he's got great size, obviously has very good technique. You don't get numbers like that without it. Um, so he's assignment sound, but he's not a robot. And at corner, if you're going to be an artisan, right, if you're going to move more into the art than the science or you know more into the art than the assignment, uh, you got to be a little savvy. You got to understand. You got to have knowledge of what your defense is doing, but also what the offense is trying to do against you. And you see instances on tape where he does that. He's got his guy. He's got his guy. He realizes, nah, they're not going to my guy. They're going to go to this guy over here. So he'll break it off and put himself in the prime position 
off script to be right where it will hurt or disrupt the offense's timing or rhythm the most. And whether that's a pick, whether that's a PBU, doesn't really matter. But you see that all the time where he's like, yeah, no, okay, I got it. Nope, this is the guy. And he'll just basically leave his guy because he already knows they're not throwing to him. And that is a beautiful combination to have that physical skill that you have to be sound in your own assignment first. He's that and then some. And then to be able to sort of do the jazz virtuoso thing where you go, nah, I'm going to play my own <laughs> tune here and be right enough that your coaching staff doesn't just tear its hair out and go, why weren't you with your guy? You got burned. Mm-mm. No, I had him. And then I went coach and I still screwed up the play. Yep. You do that every week. It's, it's like what Trayvon Diggs does when Diggs freelances, but he does it more safely. If that's, yes, if that's he the does right it word. Without, he does it with a lot less consequence. That's for damn sure. Um, so just a tremendous player. And like you said, coming off an all pro season, but again, if you said who are the top, even five cornerbacks in the league and you don't mention AJ Terrell, I'm probably going to stop you and go, Hmm. You know, okay, I'll give you Ramsey because sure, you know, he's he's got a pretty, he's got a unique physical makeup. There's not many built like him. But if you get past five or six corners and you don't mention Terrell, we're going to have a conversation. What's most fascinating to me, again, second team all pro, still, still, in my opinion, underrating him. I thought he should have been first team all pro. And I felt, again, I don't want to call it like an insult because usually if you're first team all pro, you had a pretty good season yourself. I heavily disagreed with the <laughs> results that put him at second team and not first team. I thought he was by far the best corner in the league last year. And that's, again, Diggs had a great year. Ramsey had a great year. Like there's a lot of corners that had really good years. I didn't think anybody else was even close. Like it, it was frustrating to me that the mm-hmm. vote ended up that way. And so uh, I am I am all in favor of you going on the warpath in favor of A.J. Terrell because he is a phenomenal player. And I just think back to, you know, when he was coming out of Clemson and people get pointing to that Jamar Chase game against LSU and they're like, oh, well, he's not good. Jamar Chase beat him. What they don't <laughs> mention, he got four PBUs in that game. You know how many mm-hmm. NFL corners got four PBUs against Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow last year? Fucking none of them. Marlon Humphrey got roasted. He got he did way worse against Jamar Chase than AJ, AJ Terrell did as a junior in college against Jamar Chase. Yep. Like he, that is still the best performance I have ever seen any corner put up against Jamar. And yeah, he gave up a couple freaky touchdowns because mm-hmm. Joe is Joe and Jamar is Jamar. But four PBUs, like they tested him constantly. They gave him like 10 targets in that game. And and he still looked fantastic. That was the game that actually made me more sure of him. Yep. Because of yeah. how he battled. And and he's been an all pro since then. Yeah, I had him high on my list and we watched that game together because we were both getting frustrated for different reasons. You were you were coming from the backside around talking about, you know, uh how well you thought he did against everybody else and yeah he had a bad game against LSU and I was like, mm, he didn't though and you're like, Well, it's the game that everybody points to and I was like, we should watch that game together because I, I was higher on him than most people I knew. And you're like, yeah, but everybody – I said, yeah, but we both know Chase is really good. We watched that game together, and you were like, damn. And I was like, mm-hmm. It was one of those Even where it's though, like I, 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 the first time I watched that game, it was watching Chase. That's right. 
But when you watch that game again, which was the second time when I watched it with you, and you're watching Terrell and you're not watching Chase, you get an entirely different perspective on it. And I already had a first round grade on him, but that was the that was the game that night was the game that made me go, Oh, the whole Terrell versus Henderson debate is not a debate. It's Terrell. It's not CJ Henderson. Yeah, because you were big CJ Henderson and I was lower on Henderson and you were like, Well, who do you have? And I was like, Terrell, and you were like, Yeah, well, I don't know about that. And I was like, Well, let's let's take the worst game. Let's take the game that everybody points to as his downfall and let's take a look. Right? Because yeah. the other games very good. I remember that and, night now. I think it was like March, like early yeah, March, and, something like that. And it was just such a topic of conversation because people were falling in one camp or the other. And mm-hmm. they were like, Terrell is good or Terrell is bad. And if you said, why do you think Terrell is bad? They would say, well, because Jamar Chase beat him. And we're like, all right, we can kind of invalidate that because we've, you know, we've gone back. We've looked. We appreciate what that was on both sides. It's a great game for Jamar Chase, who we now know in hindsight a year later is, you know, <laughs> really, best, really good at any the level. Best receiver in the NFL. Yeah. As a um, and Terrell battled him throughout that game. I don't want to say to a standstill because he did get beat, but the touchdowns were not straight up. Like they weren't just blown coverages. Like you said, they, they required a bunch of effort and skill on the other side too. And, you know, uh, I guess we could say this now that NIL is above board. Both teams get paid. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, uh. we looked at what was considered his downfall. And you were like, that's not a downfall. And I was like, that's kind of what I've been saying. And he rolls into the NFL and continues. And not everybody does that. Not everybody's able to make that jump as seamlessly as Jamar Chase or as AJ Terrell. But uh, that, that kind of quickly became a nullified argument. If the only reason you could come up with, uh, you know, pre-draft that you didn't like AJ Terrell was the LSU game, you and I, you know, we weren't probably going to, you're not going to rationalize that away. So um, I'm I'm thrilled that he's had that kind of success. I am a little bit surprised at this point that more people aren't saying his name. Do I think that will turn around? I hope so. Um, but again, the Falcons look like they're not going to be great this year, um, you know, on paper. Don't get mad, Atlanta fans. I'm just saying on paper, they're certainly not projected right now to win division. Um, but I imagine Terrell's going to come out again and be rock solid and i hope the team rises around him so that he can get some of that adulation that he richly deserves it's levante david all over again generational (laughs) talent stuck on a team where well we hope that he doesn't have to wait as long as levante did to get the recognition that levante deserved but it's starting to look that way unfortunately where it yeah. might be a couple of years before people go like oh yeah aj terrell he's a uh, yeah we're six <laughs> years in and he's you know leading the nfl and he's given up like 20 catches since yeah. he got in the year okay yeah, yeah okay. um all right my first defensive player i'm gonna chalk this one up for for old team coleman on this one for pre-draft evaluations uh jeremiah wusu koromoa now i got a lot of shit for saying that he was my number one linebacker in that class. And in hindsight, Micah Parsons ended up being way better than I thought he would be. Not that I like thought Micah Parsons was a bad player. More so, it was like, hey, uh, they don't really use him like a traditional linebacker. I don't really know how this is going to translate. And then he got to Dallas, and Dan Quinn was like, uh, fuck you, it's going to translate. And I was like, you're right, Dan. You're smarter than me. But that being said, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa still 
was a phenomenal player as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, got hurt about halfway through the year. Ironically, I was at the game where he got hurt. It was a bloodbath. Everybody went down for the Browns. It was against Arizona, and it was a complete shit show. But leading up to that game, Wusukoromo was not just arguably the best rookie linebacker, Micah Parsons included. He was a top three linebacker in the league in the first mm-hmm. half of the year. He was insane. Missed uh, like a month in the offseason leading up to the preseason um, with, I think it was COVID if I remember correctly. Came back, had like a day of practice, gets his first run in the preseason, gets like 10 tackles, seven solo, two forced fumbles and a sack in preseason. And it's like, okay, yeah, there's something there. And then, you know, he's an immediate player for them that, that gets a whole bunch of snaps. And every single week he's just getting more and more snaps and, he becomes a leader in the locker room like literally three weeks into the regular season because everybody loves him. He's a juice guy, incredibly athletic, incredibly smart, great tackler, great blitzer, great in coverage, great everything. And I, I'm i a little bit upset because if he stayed healthy the entire year, I think it would have been a legitimate battle between him and Parsons for rookie of the year. Parsons deserved it. I'm not saying that he didn't. Parsons is phenomenal. But I do think it would have been a legitimate battle between the two. And I had him as a very, very highly rated linebacker prospect, and he immediately came in and justified that grade. And so I felt a little bit less stupid. Now, I feel stupid a lot, but I felt a little bit less stupid when JOK played like he did. Um, I think he is going to be a phenomenal football player for a really long time and one of the key pieces for the Browns defense, hopefully, for the next six to ten years, I would say. Yeah, people forget because of the way last year played out and largely because of the injury, how good he was before the middle of the season when he went Mm -hmm. down. He was lights out. Like you said, he started off hot, stayed hot, had a hot first month, put up a bunch of stats, bunch of flash plays. um, And Parsons was still kind of getting revved up. They hadn't started to move him around as much. He was playing well. But he wasn't playing anywhere near the level of JOK. Again, early in the season. And right as Parsons started to hit the gas and Quinn started to open up the book and be like, all right, we can move you all over and you can just be our attack dog in in range. And he started to have his stack of stats, his stack of flash plays. Uwusu Komori gets hurt and sort of is removed from the argument. And Parsons just, again, continues his, you know, rocket profile into the stratosphere and and you know is very deserving of the award but i'm with you it would have been a tremendous battle because jok was that guy for the first six weeks of the season um who just looked like he was shot out of a cannon more often than not and in the right direction so uh hoping he's super healthy because he's had quite a while to rehab uh and comes into the season at full strength and and we get to see that play out on the field uh, because the other thing was it was such a need for Cleveland, right? Mm-hmm. Cleveland before that draft, like when we were saying, man, they got one of the best rosters in the league, and they did, and we're like, where do they have a hole, if anywhere? And we're like, maybe inside linebacker, and mm-hmm. then they get two of our favorite inside linebackers, and the first one they pick up high is amazing. Just comes raring out of the gate, and like you said, is not only uh, one of the best players at that position from his class, but is one of the best players on a stacked team quickly. Yeah. 
Like within five weeks, people are going, well, what would you do, JFK? Because you're you're pulling all the right levers. Bunch of veteran defenders are looking at him going, well, he belongs and then some. This, this kid's got it. Uh, and they're right. So tremendous player, great fit, filled a huge need for Cleveland. And again, just hope he comes back healthy and can really pick up where he left off because where he left off was really damn good. Now, speaking of leaving off on a great note uh max crosby is my second defensive player and again a little bit odd to say he's underrated because i think most people at this point agree yeah max crosby's really damn good but i don't think people understand how good he is like relative to the other quote-unquote elite edge rushers in the league people see max crosby as like a second tier guy it's like oh he's you know below you know the 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 Watts and the the Miles Garretts and the Bosa's and um, you know, Chase Young. I think it's a lot of pubs like an up up and coming edge rusher that has super high upside, which he does. Um, but when you look at Crosby's production, he was so far and above every other pass rusher in the league this year, and it wasn't even close. So the second highest number of pressures in the league was Nick Bosa at eighty eight, which is a phenomenal year. Nick Bosa, elite defensive end. Crosby was number one, and he had 20 more pressures than second place. 20 more pressures. Now, not all of them that got converted into sacks, because for whatever reason, he just got unlucky in that way. Sacks can come in bunches, and sometimes pressure rates and sack numbers don't equal. Pressure rate is the more important number, and his pressure rate was utterly nuts, even compared to you know, the Miles Garretts and the TJ Watts and everything like that. His pressure rate was insane. And I don't think he is given the credit as belonging with that group with Watt and Garrett and the Bosa brothers. He doesn't get talked about like they get talked about when he is just as good, like on a down-by-down, week-by-week basis. He's just as good as all of them. And I know he's not as freaky of an athlete, but when you look at length and strength and (laughs) hand usage and instincts and all that kind of stuff, like he's still murdering everybody that's in front of him. So I'm, at some point, I'm like, okay, fine. His first step isn't Miles Garrett. That's like saying, okay, yeah, well, he's not Bruce Smith. Like, no shit. But he's still an elite defensive end, one of the best pass rushers in the league, and I think it's about time that people recognize that he is in that tier. You don't want to say he's top two? Fine. He's at least top five. But this whole, like, oh, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's in the second group thing borderline disrespectful at this point he's a tier one pass rusher that's what he is yeah we're gonna have some fun we're gonna roll this back uh what you said second first and then we'll get back to the first thing you said pull up his ras his ras i'm assuming it was good but i don't think it was like elite pull up his ras okay i'm gonna do that right now (laughs) i'm very curious Uh uh-huh because he had what like a 30 36 inch vert right something like uh, that pull up his ras all right here we go it is what (laughs) no i love this trick this is my favorite party trick people are like max crosby yeah he's good but he's not super athletic and i'm like oh yeah well i knew he was a good athlete i didn't think it was a (laughs) nine six (laughs) max crosby's always been a great athlete and i you know Nine six. You don't get to nine six without being a great. Athlete. Oh, it's the three cone that did it. Six eight nine. That's pretty. That's pretty yep. good. Yeah. Okay. That did it. No, and it that athleticism didn't always translate. 
if you looked at his tape in college, he didn't put it all together, but he had, you want athletic flashes. He has athletic flashes. Like that is not just testing numbers. It shows up even on his college tape when he was undersized, when he looked like a spider monkey attacking people because he's got that (laughs) great length, right? But he comes off the ball like shot. He can get around people. Again, he didn't string it all together. And that's the thing is... I think I had a third round grade on Crosby coming out and yeah, I, I had felt a third pretty, round grade too. And I felt pretty comfortable with that. And I thought again, like we say about almost all prospects, if he goes to the right place, if he develops, he could become a good solid rotational edge rusher, which was was a pretty good projection for him. Is you know, right now better athlete than football player, but he also has a super high motor. He has no quit in him. He would get a lot of sacks in college just by keeping going. And strangely enough, he gets the same kind of sacks in the NFL. But it's not because he can't win with athleticism. That's the that's the break. That's the schism. People kind of go, well, he he gets a lot of cleanup sacks because he's not a great athlete. And he can't win off the snap. And I'm like, oh, really? Do I at <laughs> least get credit for remembering his vert correctly from like four years ago? <laughs> I give you full marks for that because I can't do that. My I was right. Thing it was 36. That, that's awesome. I cannot do that. I do not have that skill. I, I flush that short term every year. So, uh, but no, it, it's my favorite when people are like, well, he's good, but he's not as athletic as guys like, and then they list off guys who have very similar RASs. Um, so that's my, my favorite. The first one. And the second one I want to touch on is people coming around to it. Right. So we both said, hey, we had a third round grade on him when he came out. And that was appropriate for where he was, because it was with the caveat, if he continues to take these athletic gifts and refine them, he could end up as a starter, as a productive starter. He has not only made it there, but he has continued past that. People's perceptions haven't caught up. And -hmm. this goes both ways for players in the draft going into the NFL. So we all can list off a lot of players at a lot of positions picked in the first round who have underwhelmed for their entire career, three, four, five years. But they keep getting chances because they're first-round players. And everybody's like, but they were a first-round player. And I'm like, yeah. And they've never had more than 400 receiving yards in the NFL in a season. So what do you want to call that? Right? You can call that role player. You can call that fifth receiver on a team. You can call that a special teams ace. You can call that whatever you want, but it's not a first round wide receiver. At least it's not what you're hoping for when you spend that pick. But the perception stays high because of relative draft position. Flip it for Crosby. The relative perception stays low because of draft position, despite what he has done to improve. And man, has he improved. He Mm -hmm. has gotten bigger. He has gotten better. He has multiple counter moves. Uh, He can win with that athleticism that he has always had, but he can win in different ways. He can win earlier in the down. He can win late in the down because he doesn't quit, which is also not a new thing for him. He's rounded out his game tremendously well, and not only has he moved to the level we hoped he would, he's moved past that, certainly this last season. When you say a player has put it all together, what you mean is what Max Crosby's done. He's taken his gifts. He's taken his coaching. He's gotten his life straightened around. And now we're seeing everything that Max Crosby could bring to bear. It's like peak Mac Crosby. Max Crosby is what we saw last season because he's in a good place personally. He's in a great place in the field. He re-upped at the Raiders because he loves the organization. He is, you know, fully rounded out technique-wise and physically. 
and we're seeing the best that Max Crosby can be. And it's better than all those other guys. And that's a leap that people don't make quickly. They still go, but he was drafted in the third round. Kind of not relevant anymore. Like, mm-hmm. pay attention. Keep up. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessarily where he was drafted. It's If he was on the open market, what would he make? And it's... Oh, yeah. It's a ridiculous amount of money. That's what he would make if he was a free agent right now. Uh, I don't think the Raiders will let him be a free agent for many years to come, but no. trust me, he's he's one of the most valued defensive ends in the league. Um, now, our joint defensive pick, this is number 10 on our list overall, number five on the defensive side. We really wanted a nickel. Not corner, not safety, nickel. It's kind of its own position. It is a starting position at this point in the NFL. Because most most teams play more eleven per, or play more nickel personnel than anything else, and we landed on Kenny Moore again from the Colts. They have a lot. Of, they have a really good team. <laughs> People uh, don't pay attention to their roster, but they have a lot of really underrated guys, and Kenny Moore is one of them. In terms of versatility at the nickel position, it's not just about coverage. Nickel has to be involved in the pass rush because they're heavily involved in terms of blitzes. Um, they're heavily involved in the run game. They're heavily involved in terms of, you know, stopping RPOs, both on the ground and through the air. Nickel is one of the hardest positions to play on defense. And it's also one of the most important positions in any modern defense. And Kenny Moore was extremely well-rounded. He had 36 run stops, which is incredibly high for that position. He had four picks. He had nine PBUs. Um, He was extremely solid in terms of just straight-up coverage. It's hard for me to find more nickels other than maybe, like, Teron Johnson, and that's a that's a maybe, um, that are more versatile and more valuable at that spot than Kenny Moore. And I think that he is vastly underappreciated because he's a nickel, and most people see, like, outside corners as, like, the premier position, like with A.J. Terrell. But in terms of, like, difficulty level... If I was a gifted athlete, I would rather play outside corner than nickel because nickel is, oof, it's tough. It's extremely tough, and and Kenny Moore makes it look easy. Yeah, nickel is much tougher than outside corner. Outside corner, you can use the boundary as an extra defender, as a helping hand. Uh, nickel, it's a two-way go every play. Mm-hmm. Plus, you can't just drop in automatically to your two-way go. You've got to read because you might – need to defeat the guy in front of you as a run block and get in and get that orbit motion, jet sweep, uh, RPO, whatever. And it, it's yours. That is clearly your fit, your alley. Um, and you can't be backing up because if you're backing up and he gets his hands on you, you're out of the play, yeah. right? So it's it's not really a two-way go. When we're talking about two-way go, we're only talking about passing. If you're talking about passing and running, it's a three-way go. You might have to be going forward just as quickly. So Very, very difficult position. It's why you don't see a ton of rookies come in and excel at nickel because there's so many responsibilities. You can't really limit them. If you're going to put a guy in that spot, he's going to have multiple responsibilities and he kind of has to do them all well. And when you look for a nickel that does all of those responsibilities very well at a high level, you get to Kenny Moore. right? There are some other guys you're like, yeah, and I was like, you you were big on Teron Johnson who made our – honorable mention list and i was like okay go through all the stats 
not just the passing stats. Go through all the stats. I want to. I want to see PBUs. I want to see coverage per, completion percentage against. I want to see run stops. I want to see the whole bit. And you know, there was a couple where Teron Johnson was better, and all the rest, Kenny Moore had a pretty commanding lead. And it's like, all right, if we're gonna grab a, a, a the most well-rounded, it's hard to say it's not Kenny Moore. And strangely enough. Sounds like he's going to hold out for a little bit of money, as well he should. Because he deserves he is, it, yeah. He is underpaid <laughs> as a premier talent at one of the most important, if you're talking about leverage within a defense, positions in the modern NFL. Because, you know, modern NFL defenses are in nickel like 70% of the time sometimes. That means that guy's a starter. He's getting a lot of reps and he has a lot of responsibility. And you get a guy that does it as well as Kenny Moore does, that guy should get bag. Like, that's it. That's that's the end of that discussion. Now, you did mention Teron Johnson in the honorable mentions list, so I do want to transition into that because we had a lot of guys that we wanted to put on here, and we just we couldn't quite fit him in the top ten. Now, it was Grady Jarrett, who's perennially on the all-underrated team, and it seems like he's been that way his entire career, and he will always be that way because, unfortunately, he plays in the same era as Aaron Donald, and Chris Jones. So he's always going to be like the other guy. But Grady Jarrett is phenomenal. Teron Johnson, who, you know, were it not for Kenny Moore, Teron Johnson would probably be seen as universally like the best nickel in the league at this point. Like he's he's really, 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 really good. Um, Tony Pollard, again, were it not for Zeke Elliott. If Tony Pollard was getting like a full workload as the number one back in Dallas, I think he would be monstrously productive because he's incredibly talented. And Ali Marpet, uh, unfortunately, we have seen the last of Ali Marpet in the NFL. He, he sailed off into the sunset and retired. We wish him a happy retirement. Um, he, he was one of the best stories in the NFL as a D3 kid, showed up at the Senior Bowl, killed everybody, went to the pros, killed everybody some more, became one of the best guards in the league, got a whole bunch of money, won a Super Bowl, pieced out, like, best possible career arc you can have. Um a, a legend to me again as a d3 kid like d3 rarely goes to the nfl period let alone becomes an elite guard within the first two years of him being in the nfl um one of my favorite interior offensive linemen of this generation and i'm i'm happy that uh that he got to walk away on his own terms because he was uh he was truly phenomenal yeah and you know people would say well he's retired well yeah but we're we're really grading all these off the last couple of years two or three years and if you look at the last two or three years it's hard to find a guard who had more success than Ali Marpat and also got less press mm-hmm. like it did you know his retirement generated a whole lot more press than the things he did on the field which were at a pro bowl level that's that's kind of stunning but I got to tell a Grady Jarrett story because I found it in the research for this episode and it's nuts <laughs> so the whole reason to do this episode and and to talk about underappreciated players is one of my all-time favorite underrated players probably my most favorite underrated player of all time is a guy named Jesse Tuggle mm-hmm. who's a linebacker for the Falcons and is one of those uh, you can call it a hard luck story whatever he did not play for great Falcons teams he played at an extremely high level was appreciated by all his peers and was extremely skilled like Jesse Tuggle was a great linebacker for the Falcons you might say who's Jesse Tuggle that's what we're talking about he's a wildly underappreciated player so kind of said to myself at one point hey if I ever get to the point where I have a voice and I can talk about some of these guys I'm going to talk about guys like Jesse Tuggle moving on 
got to put Grady Jarrett on the list because, you know, Grady Jarrett's Grady Jarrett. He is he is the guy that if I didn't put Kenny Clark in there, it's got to be Grady Jarrett. So Grady Jarrett's on our honorable mention list, and I'm looking up some Grady Jarrett stats, and there's biographical information. And it says, I swear to God, Grady Jarrett's dad is none other than Jesse Tuggle. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. what? I sent you a DM. I was like, Sorry, my head just exploded. The gene pool makes a little bit more sense now, huh? (laughs) Unreal. So Jesse Tuggle has two sons. Uh, His other son played in the NFL and is currently playing in the CFL. And his other son is Grady Jarrett. And I was like, this all makes too much sense right now. Perennially underrated guy, appreciated by his peers, plays at a very high level, got drafted by Atlanta. He's Jesse Tuggle's kid. Of course he is, but uh, hadn't made the link. I am terrible with familial links in the NFL. Um, We generally giggle about how bad I am with that. Um, The fact that Grady Jarrett, one of our honorable mentions for the underappreciated team, is literally the son of the guy that was the inspiration for the entire show is... Yeah, I'll be be signing off now. That's enough for me. I I have one more for you. Yeah. Somebody, Somebody else that actually did make the list was Matt Ryan. You know who his cousin is? No, I guarantee I don't. Mike McGlinchey. What? Yeah. Tackle for the 49ers? Yeah. Yeah. They're cousins. And that's why, because I was watching uh, Matt Ryan on Pat McAfee like a while ago when he first came to the Colts. And uh, he's like, oh, were you familiar with Quentin Nelson? He's like, oh, yeah, I used to watch him when he played with my cousin. I was like, who the fuck is his cousin? He's like, I used to go to Notre Dame games all the time. And, you know, Mike uh-huh. would always say, like, oh, this Quentin Nelson kid's, like, amazing. And I, I was like, hold on, Mike McGlinchey and Matt Ryan are related? What? Yeah, so that's the thing is you start digging in and some people are like, how could you be so bad with family connections? And I'm like, uh, so um, there are a lot of those and uh i was just looking and i've already forgotten because my brain is complete teflon for this stuff um lamar jackson the quarterback mm-hmm. not the cornerback is this other player's cousin right it's like again he has a relation he has a family member um a direct you know primary family member brother that plays in the league but oh yeah by the way his cousin is lamar jackson i was like ah and we were sitting at the shrine bowl James Pierre, this year. the the Steelers corner. Oh, I didn't know they were uh, cousins. Yeah, they're first cousins. Interesting. No, and it wasn't him. So there's another one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, we were sitting with uh, Big Cat Bryant at the Shrine Bowl this year, and yeah. I was talking about Montrevious Adams, who was one of my favorite players, who was on that Auburn defensive front when Big Cat was at Auburn as a freshman. And I was like, and you were saying, oh, EJ's a huge Montrevious Adams fan. And he's like, oh, I love Monty, man. He's my boy. And he goes, you know he's my cousin, right? <laughs> so we're both like, what? He's like, yeah, I'll call Monto right now. And he pulls out his phone, texts him, and I, we're just both like, what the hell? Um, so there's many of those familiar relationships in the NFL. It's tons of fun, but I cannot for the life of me keep track of them. But the fact that Grady Jarrett's dad is Jesse Tuggle blows my freaking mind. Yeah. So that was, uh, wow, man, an hour 20. That's actually a lot, lot quicker than I thought we'd get through this, but I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised for the, the top 10 underrated players list. We got it under two hours. How about that? Uh, before we sign off. EJ, why don't you tell the folks what we got coming for the rest of the summer? Because I think we have like 40 plus episodes still coming down the pipe between now and uh, the start of the season. 
we got a lot. So we are working furiously behind the scenes to get everything lined up for our divisional content preview series, which if you follow bootleg, you are familiar with, but it's going to look and sound a little bit different this year. Um, still the same great information, but we needed to chop it up. It was too big last year. So we decided to do one episode per team with a capper divisional episode at the end of the week, which yes, that means we will have content every day for eight solid weeks. We will take a one week break in the middle, probably right around the 4th of July. But for all the other weeks, we are literally going to have the four team episodes Monday through Thursday, and then a divisional sort of overarching recap on the Friday. So you're going to see a lot more bootleg content in terms of number of episodes this season, this summer than you did last year. We've got one more single episode before we kick off into those. Uh, we're going to talk about our 10 breakout candidates for next year folks who are uh, sophomores in the NFL, second-year players who maybe had a good first year, maybe got injured, uh, and are really looking to make that leap that we see pretty often between first and second year in the NFL. We're going to bring our 10 favorite candidates for that. Uh, and then we're really going to get into uh, starting to pour data into those templates we've been working hard on for all the divisional offseason content and rolling that to our editors and getting that out um, you will see all that on the regular channel. Some of that will be pulled out to the Clips channel as well. Uh, we've got our patron-only event coming up uh, now this month since this one will release in June. Um, and then the season's going to be here before we know it because while we start doing all that stuff, camp's going to happen, and then it's going to be preseason. We'll do a couple of episodes before the regular season kicks off, and then uh, we'll be into regular season content, and that may look a little bit different as well. So, um tons and tons and tons coming down the pipe from bootleg football so we appreciate everybody for uh for stopping by again we got a lot more to come i want to thank all of our executive producers marat fitzy consti connor you guys are rock stars thank you for helping to support the show remember everybody else who wants um you know to get access to all of the bootleg live streams merch discounts you can go check that out over at the bootleg patreon or if you want to become an executive producer yourself uh, we would not hate that either. So <laughs> thank you, everybody. Uh, we'll be back very soon with what's the next episode we're doing again? I think it's uh, Breakout Players, Soft, right? Yep. Breakout Players. Breakout Players. So we got that coming soon. And uh, until then, later. Take care.